The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those interested in the big and bizarre moments of history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're talking about a legendary meeting between two very different public figures. The day was December 21st, 1970. Rock icon Elvis Presley met with President Richard Nixon at the White House. The impromptu meeting was entirely Presley's idea. In fact, the singer had hand-delivered a six-page letter requesting the visit earlier that same morning. Nixon ultimately obliged, and the two men had a brief conversation in the Oval Office and then posed for one of the most famous photo ops in presidential history. In fact, to this day, the photo of them shaking hands is the single most requested item in the entire National Archives, even outstripping copies of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. The meeting was kept secret at Presley's request, but it turned out he didn't need to fear the public's response. When the story finally broke over a year later, most people were confused more than anything else. After all, why would the king of rock and roll want a hobnob with Richard Nixon? The White House guards were probably wondering that themselves when Presley's limo showed up at the northwest gate of the residence at around 6.30 that morning. He had just flown in on a red-eye flight from Los Angeles and wanted to meet with the president to give him a personal gift. He handed the guards a six-page letter, written on American Airlines stationery, and then left for the Washington Hotel to await Nixon's response. Presley's lengthy letter included several unusual requests. Chief among them, he wanted to be made a, quote, federal agent at large so that he could help discourage drug abuse within the counterculture. I would like to introduce myself, the letter read. I am Elvis Presley and admire you and have great respect for your office. 
I talked to Vice President Agnew in Palm Springs three weeks ago and expressed my concern for our country. The drug culture, the hippie elements, the SDS, Black Panthers, etc. do not consider me as their enemy, or as they call it, the establishment. I call it America, and I love it. Sir, I can and will be of any service that I can to help the country out. I have no concern or motives other than helping the country out, so I wish not to be given a title or an appointed position. I can and will do more good if I were made a federal agent at large, and I will help out by doing it my way through my communications with people of all ages. First and foremost, I am an entertainer, but all I need is the federal credentials. Presley claimed to have no motive beyond helping out with the government's war on drugs, but several people close to the singer have suggested that may not have been entirely true. According to his longtime assistant and close friend, Jerry Schilling, Presley developed a deep respect for law enforcement after seeing how hard they worked to protect him at concerts and live appearances. He started collecting honorary badges from each police department he worked with, and in late 1970, he decided there was one badge in particular that he wanted more than any other, a badge from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, today known as the Drug Enforcement Agency. Schilling suggested that Presley wanted the badge because he thought it would allow him to freely travel with guns, a measure he felt was necessary for his personal protection. However, the performer's wife, Priscilla Presley, thought it had more to do with a desire for power rather than safety. In her memoir, Elvis and Me, Priscilla writes, quote, The narc badge represented some kind of ultimate power to him. With the federal narcotics badge, he believed he could legally enter any country both wearing guns and carrying any drugs he wished. By December 20, 1970, Elvis Presley had already requested and been denied a narc badge. So that evening, he decided on a whim to fly to Washington, D.C. and try his luck in person. After dropping off his letter at the White House the following morning, Presley checked into his hotel under the alias John Burroughs and then left for a meeting with a deputy director at the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Once again, he requested approval for a bureau badge, and once again, he was denied it. Meanwhile, the singer's letter was passed along to Nixon aide Eagle Bud Crow, who happened to be an Elvis fan. Crow convinced his colleagues, including the skeptical White House Chief of Staff Bob Halderman, to sign off on the meeting, and they soon got in touch with Jerry Schilling to make the arrangements. At around noon, Presley and Schilling arrived at the White House along with one of the performer's bodyguards, Sonny West. Presley, dressed for the occasion in his own way, decked out in a purple velvet suit, an enormous gold belt buckle, and amber sunglasses. He also brought along that gift he'd promised, a World War II-era Colt 45 pistol mounted in a glass display case. The weapon was confiscated for inspection by the Secret Service, but it would later be cleared and passed along to Nixon during the meeting. A half hour later, Elvis bid farewell to his entourage and Bud Coe escorted him to the Oval Office. President Nixon greeted the singer formally as Mr. Presley rather than Elvis, and then White House photographer Ollie Atkins snapped the famous photo of them shaking hands. The pair's conversation wasn't recorded, as Nixon's infamous taping system had yet to be installed, 
Still, Bud Crow did take notes during the meeting, providing at least some idea of what was discussed. After exchanging pleasantries, Presley showed off his collection of police badges and reaffirmed his interest in helping reach the nation's youth through his music. He also took a swipe at his musical competitors, as according to Crow, quote, Presley indicated that he thought the Beatles had been a real force for anti-American spirit. The president then indicated that those who use drugs are also those in the vanguard of anti-American protest. At that point, Presley said, quote, I'm on your side, adding that he had been studying the drug culture and communist brainwashing, and that as an entertainer, he had an inroad with many Americans, including, quote, the hippies. President Nixon was reportedly taken aback by these comments, unsure of what exactly Presley was proposing to do, but he thanked the singer just the same and said he welcomed the help. With the meeting drawing to a close, Presley took his shot and asked the president for a badge from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Nixon asked Coe if that was doable, and when the aide said it was, the president ordered it to be done. The long-awaited badge was presented to Presley that afternoon, and though the singer proudly assumed it was the real deal, White House aides later said it was an honorary badge and that it didn't confer any actual title or privileges. The Presley-Nixon summit was a one-off encounter, and the president never took the singer up on his vague offer of support. The men did keep in touch, though, with Nixon writing to him just ten days later to say thanks for the commemorative pistol. Today, that gun resides at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum in Yorba Linda, California, and Presley's treasured NARC badge is on display at his Graceland estate in Memphis. As for the singer himself, he died just seven years after his meeting with Nixon, passing away on August 16, 1977, at the age of 42. The official cause was listed as cardiac arrhythmia, but the toxicology report revealed a dangerous combination of opiates and quaaludes in his system at the time of death. For that reason, it's widely speculated that prescription drug abuse directly contributed to Presley's untimely demise, the possibility that casts his desperate quest for a narcotics badge in a much more tragic light. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago street course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.